All right, Ruth chapter four, and we're going to be camping out in verses 13 through 22. Let me, uh, but let me, let me open up our time with, uh, with prayer. God, we are grateful to you. We're grateful for Christmas because it means that you have arrived and you did arrive and you are still arriving uh, to us. You still show up. Your presence is still known and felt in our lives. And we want, we're asking that you would do that right now for us as we open your word, Holy Spirit, and we listen and we receive the grace that comes uh, by your word. Do that for us. Open our ears, soften our hearts to receive these truths, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, it is in our nature, it seems like, to be surprised when our expectations are exceeded. Um, I brought, this, I, I brought this, uh, this example up a few times, so if you've heard this, sorry. But, um, you know, there's this one particular Christmas morning that is really kind of burned into memory for me. It was back in uh, 1982. I know three quarters of you weren't born back in that year. Um, but I, I remember my, it was a really, really tough year for my parents financially. And they had been the type of parents, um, you know, again, for better, for worse, they just went all out for Christmas, you know, presents literally every square inch of the house. They were those people. And um, I remember this particular Christmas, they told us things are not going well. My dad had owned a business and it was doing this. And they said, you know, it's going to be a little lean. And, uh, you know, we were, believe it or not, okay with that, as spoiled as we were. And, um, but I remember not really expecting much for Christmas, but I remember waking up that morning and my brother and I walking into the living room, we didn't see gifts all over the, you know, floor like we usually did, but we did see a couple of brand new bikes sitting there for us that we would have thought there was no way in the world we were going to get. And so it really got me thinking as it does often at this time of the year, which is that my parents actually had a track record, like I just told you about, of generosity. Um, so the question really is, why was I so surprised then when they were generous? And really it was because I'd allowed my limited knowledge of their financial status to, uh, to affect my, my expectations. Um, and I think there's a way that we do this with, with God. We, we believe that somehow he is restricted. He's restricted by our knowledge of what we can or we cannot see, which then affects what we then believe is possible for him. In fact, Jesus spoke about this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, 26 through 29. He told a parable and he said the kingdom of God, and when he says the kingdom of God, what he's really saying is this work that God has done in people's hearts through Jesus Christ. So he says this, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, talking about a farmer. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he says, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so as we look at our three main characters this morning for, for the last time in the Book of Ruth, we see both the implicit and the explicit nature of God to work in ways that we know not how. And what we see is a story with all kinds of surprising plot twists. Like we've seen that all the way through over the last seven weeks. But we also see what's been equally, if not more evident, is an unsurprised God unfolding his plan through every twist of the plot, right? And again, this has been one of our themes as we've unpacked the story of Ruth and Naomi, which is this, God's people reap the fruit of God's faithfulness 
as their faith is tested in seasons of unknowingness. Because that is what we see when we look at the story of Ruth and Naomi is that they were in a season of unknowing. So if you're here this morning and you wouldn't identify yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, or if you're a Christian who feels like God has been playing the role of absentee father in your life, we're going to see some things this morning by God's grace. Number one, we're going to see that God fills our emptiness. If we are in those empty seasons of which we cannot feel the effect of God, okay, God fills our emptiness. Number two, he fills us implicitly before we see explicit evidence of the filling. And then number three, he calls us to obedience during those times of emptiness and unknowing. And so hopefully we're going to unpack those three truths for us today. But let's spend a few minutes, actually, uh, talking about those unknowable moments as we review the lives of Naomi, of Ruth, and Boaz. These are our three main characters that we've been unpacking the last six weeks. And let's, let's see how little they knew. Let's see how little they knew about what God was up to. Because right now, for you and for me, there is a bunch of things that we don't know that God is actually actively working in. John Piper has said, God is probably doing 10,000 things in your life and you might be aware of like three of them right now. I mean, there's some profound implications to that statement, but it's true, especially when we look into the lives of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Think about Naomi. I mean, here is a woman who had traveled with her husband and two sons to the land of Moab because there was famine in their hometown of Bethlehem. And some of you know what that's like, right? Some of you know what it's like to uproot your families and, and, and to move because maybe you got laid off from your job or maybe you were transferred to another job location or maybe, man, you just needed a job uh, but you just couldn't find any work so you had to go. This was the situation that Naomi found herself in when her family relocated to Moab, but it turned out to be a move that triggered some things. You know, when you make that decision and then all of these, these things happen because of the decision or during or, or as the result of that particular decision that you made, but all these, all these other things were triggered, all these life-altering events because her husband Elimelech and her two sons died. And so what happens is, is that Naomi is left with two daughter-in-laws and no way to provide. So by the time she returns to Bethlehem with only Ruth by her side, she's become a bitter woman. That's what the text tells us. She tells her friends, she says, call me Mara. She says, call me Big M, like what we call my wife, right? She says, call me bitter. She says, because I went away full and I've come back empty. Naomi was clueless at that moment how the Lord would work. And then we get to Ruth, Naomi's daughter-in-law. Ruth is faced with a choice now. Because she, you know, because it was Naomi, I don't know if you guys know how this worked, but because it was Naomi's son that Ruth married, uh, you know, Ruth became Naomi's daughter-in-law, right? So Ruth is faced with a choice after the loss of her husband. Stay in her hometown of Moab or stick it out with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and do that relocation thing to Bethlehem. Now, the easy choice it feels like, as we look at the text, it seems like the easy choice would have been to stay in Moab, if you're Ruth, with her family and with her gods, as Naomi instructed her to do. But Ruth, 
had become a believer during that time. She converted to faith in the true and living God. And she feels called now to stay with Naomi instead. But man, there was, there was risk in that decision, right? There was a lot of risk in that decision. She would be a widow living in a foreign land, forced to find work with people who'd likely treat her like the immigrant that she was. I mean, some of you have come to a faith, saving faith in, in Christ. And you have a family, by the way, uh, who's been less than thrilled, shall we say, with your commitment to serve Jesus and the church. I mean, does that, that ring any bells for any of you? I mean, when I was six, uh, my mom was saved out of uh, her uh, Italian Catholic upbringing uh, into the Christian faith. And her family was not jacked about that, by the way. Um, nobody was super pumped when mom showed up with an I heart Martin Luther t-shirt for Christmas that year, right? <laughs> I mean, it, nobody, was re nobody was really pumped about that as they were carving into the turkey, right? Um, at the time, she had no idea how the Lord was going to work through her obedience. She had no idea. And that speaks to Ruth's story. And then we get to Boaz. Boaz comes into the picture as a landowner and a relative of Naomi, we learn that this is one godly and trustworthy dude. And we learn that after Ruth starts gleaning grain in his field, eventually, and he's given some opportunities. He's given some opportunities to redeem Ruth, and he does. And redeeming means for him, what that meant was that he, he, he marries Ruth. He purchases the family land that belonged to Naomi. And then he assumes responsibility to carry on the family line, which he does faithfully. Now, some of you can relate to that. Some of you have had to make risky decisions with no guarantee of the outcome, hence the word risk, right? Now, when I was seven, my parents ended up purchasing a house in this small uh, rural community. See, I have a lot of experience with rural, small town rural, but they purchased a house in a small rural community of Southern California and they absolutely loved it, okay, until they moved in and decided by the end of the week that it was the worst decision ever made in their lives, right? Now, two things happened after that that they could not have known. Actually, three things happened that they couldn't have known. Number one, they put the house up for sale like literally like a week after we moved, no exaggeration, and it didn't sell. So after, wait for it, three years and no bites, they took it off the market, you know? A little slow my parents were back in the day. Um, number two, the house was one of those like custom builds that was apparently built by a guy with Ronnie Martin level carpentry skills, all right? Um, which means it customarily, speaking of custom, started falling apart, right? So, I mean, everything's just coming off this house. It's like the wood, the whole, is amazing. I don't even know if it's still standing, right? Um, but number three, number three, and here's something that they could have not known, that I couldn't have known when I was seven. All of my fondest childhood memories are from the six years that we lived there. More significantly than fond memories, were that spiritual foundations during that time were laid down in my life. And it came at a cost to my parents because church and school were an hour away for us. 
a lot of commuting, a lot of driving, but my parents were faithful in keeping us connected. They had no idea what that move was going to mean for them, for their kids, and yet God used it in all the unknowables, all the unknowable qualities. So we have three characters who made some good moves, who made some bad moves with no guarantees, except for a God that guarantees himself to be present in all the moves that are ever made. So now, as we come to the end of the story, we'll read about the fruit that then comes as the result of that kind of obedience and faithfulness. So let's just do that. Let's pick up in verse 13 of chapter 4, and I'm going to read to the end. You can follow along. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Verse 18, now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Amminadab. Amminadab fathered Nishan. Nishan fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David, and that is God's word. So very quickly and simply, Boaz marries Ruth, Ruth gives birth to a son, to Obed, and Naomi becomes Obed's nurse. So to sum up, God exceeds Naomi's expectation at the very end of this story by providing evidences of his faithfulness. Well, what were some of those evidences? Well, I think we see three obvious ones here as we look down at these final verses. First off, he surrounds Naomi, as we can see her, with community. He surrounds Naomi with community. The women who saw Naomi come back empty, remember? We read about Naomi coming back and the women of the town and everybody was stirring and they said, look, here she is. She's returned and the women come back and they ask her where she's been. They inquire what's been going on and she says what she said about her being called bitter and she changed her name and she insinuated to them that she had come back from a very, very empty season. But now these women, they see Naomi coming back from her time in Moab. They're able to affirm that she has been filled, that her emptiness has been filled. And what that helps us to understand is that God never casts a blind eye toward our burdens, towards your burden. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't allow burdens to befall us. He does. He did. Naomi's husband and sons, they're gone. They're gone forever. But God surrounds Naomi with community who bless the Lord for his provision, who bless Obed for now being Naomi's redeemer, even above and beyond Boaz, who bless Ruth for being more, worth more than seven sons, which would have been the ideal uh, number and sex 
of, 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 a, of, of, your, of the family that you, would, that you would desire to have back in this particular time. Naomi had friends. Naomi had friends who drew her back to God's faithfulness. Do you have friends like that? If you don't, there's some sitting next to you right now. If you're willing to befriend them. Otherwise, who will you have to remind you of God's blessings during your seasons of emptiness? That if they haven't come yet, will inevitably come. So first, he surrounds Naomi with community. Secondly, he surrounds Naomi with family. God surrounded Naomi with a daughter-in-law, with Ruth, and then the new birth of her grandson, Obed, who would now be the restorer and the nourisher in her life that she'd been lacking. Some of you might say, I've not been able to have a child. Or some of you might say, my children live far away. Or, Ronnie, you don't understand, my family is anything but restorative and nourishing, and I'm about to find that out this week. And yet, what do we have here? What do we have but a church full of men, women, and children who would covet you as a family member, who would covet your time and your friendship and your wisdom and your care in their lives? What's stopping you from adopting in the family of people that God has adopted into his family as sons or daughters. Are we not all together and the same in that regard? Have we not all been adopted into the family of God to be family members that are, that are growing and thriving and living and breathing and suffering under the same umbrella of grace? We are. Look, Naomi could have chosen to remain bitter. She could have chosen to remain bitter about the things that had been removed, but instead she received the new things that God had redeemed for her. So God surrounded Naomi with community. He surrounds Naomi with family. And then he surrounds Naomi with legacy. The birth of Obed, as we see as we get into the genealogy, stuff that we usually just skip over, because it sounds like redundancy 101. But what we see is that the birth of Obed would eventually lead to the birth of King David, Israel's most beloved king. More significant than that, the line of David would be the family line that led to the birth of Jesus. That's what they're trying to tell us here as they lay out this particular family line. And you know what's interesting is that when we look down at the name Boaz, Obed is to contrast it, right? So when we look down at Obed, it's a name that means servant. And then when we look at Jesus, who was called Emmanuel, it means God with us. So who was Jesus but God in the flesh, who came to serve us by dying for us so that God could forever be with us? Do you see the tie there? God gave Naomi a legacy that led to Jesus Christ. Are you part of this kind of legacy. Well, if you place your trust in Christ, you are, because you're part of his church, which is the legacy of Christ's redemption. That's why, that's why we push this thing called church membership. That's why membership in your local church 
is so important because it covenants you to a local body of believers who God has designed to be a holistic, unifying, God-glorifying, physical and spiritual presence to serve you and be served by you in your life. So this is what God surrounded Naomi with. Family, community, and legacy. So do you, do you guys, do you get the sense of what's, of what's happening? Do you, do you see what's going on here? Do you see the way God is not explicitly in the picture anywhere, yet implicitly invested in every single element of Naomi's life? How he was the one behind all of the plot twists. How God surprised Naomi by exceeding her expectations and filling her emptiness. And some of you have experienced emptiness this year. When you look back on 2017, man, I don't know what those memories are going to be like. Some of you have experienced emptiness. Some of you are going to in 2018. What does it then look like for God to fill our emptiness the way that he filled Naomi's emptiness? Well, first off, here's what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean God pays you back for the time lost. That's not what it means. God didn't owe Naomi anything. Well, that's tough. That's tough theology for us to dive into because that's biblical. God didn't owe Naomi anything. She was suffering from the same kind of emptiness that you suffer, that I suffer due to life in a fallen and broken world. That's the reality of it. God allows emptiness, but he uses it. He uses our emptiness to refill us with the fullness of his love. Naomi could be filled because she was empty. Do you guys get that? She could be filled because she was empty. She knew she needed food because there was a famine. She knew she needed provision because her husband and sons died. She knew she needed a redeemer because her life had fallen into ruin. We know we need God when there's nothing but God left to meet our needs. Everything in Naomi's life was leading to her redemption. And you know what? God is always leading you to or leading you back to your redemption. But it's important what he's leading you through. Everything in your life is not just there to get through it. Look back on 2017 with those kind of eyes. It wasn't just there for, for you to get through, especially if you experienced that level of emptiness. Naomi's famine was not wasted. Her time in Moab was not wasted. The loss of her family was not wasted. God was leading them on the road to their Redeemer, and by the time Boaz arrives, they would be able to have two things because of the road that God had brought them on that had completely emptied them out. Number one, they would have a richer redemption, wouldn't they? This was a rich redemption for Naomi. Number two, they would be able to rejoice 
all the more because of the level and depth of emptiness that had been filled. Do we get that? If we're made to wait, if we're made to endure, if we're made to suffer, it is for the sake of a richer redemption from a redeemer in whom we share the riches of his inheritance. Who is Christ? So what do we do when God is implicitly rather than explicitly filling our emptiness? Well, what do we see? What do we see here when we look at Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz? Well, what we see is obedience. They obeyed. We obey. It's interesting how they reacted through all of these things. Naomi doesn't curse God when her family dies. She doesn't abandon the faith. She acknowledges her pain. She acknowledges her pain, but she also acknowledges God's hand in it all. She returns to her homeland to be with her people. She allows Ruth to stay by her side. She sends Ruth to Boaz and waits for him to act as redeemer. Naomi obeyed during her emptiness. Ruth obeyed. She didn't go back to her family and her gods. She stayed by Naomi's side. She went to work to provide for her and Naomi. She listened to Naomi's wise instructions. She didn't chase after young or rich men to marry. She followed Boaz's lead. She waited for him. She married him. She had a baby with him. Ruth obeyed during the emptiness of loss and uncertainty of the future. Boaz, Boaz obeyed. He showed kindness to Ruth. He assumed responsibility for stepping in as what was called a kinsman redeemer. He bought Naomi's parcel of land. He pursued marriage with Ruth. He had a baby with her to fulfill his responsibility as a redeemer. Boaz obeyed God by entering the lives of two empty women and assuming all the risk that came with that. Will you obey God during the emptiness? Will you obey God when nothing is knowable? Because we reap the fruit of God's faithfulness as we faithfully obey in seasons of unknowingness. It's how we eventually experience the explicit fruit of God's redemption that he is implicitly planting, growing, and cultivating all the time. It's happening right now as you sit. Whatever's going on in your mind, it is happening right now. Whatever you have planned for this day and this week and the rest of the year and into 2018, it is happening right now. You know, what we think is good is different than what God thinks, isn't it? What we think is bad, oftentimes, is different from what God thinks. It's funny that this is the book of Ruth, but it really ends with the story of Naomi. And you know, Naomi may have felt that the worst thing that could have possibly happened to her at the beginning of the story was that a famine had broke out in the land until the worst thing that happened to her was losing her husband. 
until the worst thing that happened to her was losing her sons. But with famine came Ruth. And with Ruth came companionship. And with companionship came provision. And with provision came Boaz. And with Boaz came a son. And with a son came a lineage that led to David. And with David came a legacy that led to Jesus. The fruit of redemption is Jesus. It can't be the stuff. It cannot be the stuff. If he just replaces stuff with stuff, we will have unfulfilled desire upon unfulfilled desire layering and stacking up in our lives. It wasn't the grain that filled Naomi's emptiness. It was a redeemed life by God through the faithfulness of a redeemer named Boaz. The place God laid Naomi to was really just a person. And if you are a follower of Jesus, all the good and all the bad in your life will lead you back to Jesus. Our call is to wait. Our call is to obey and then be surprised by the expectations that God far exceeds by giving us more of himself by way of Jesus to fill the emptiness. Do you see the extravagant level of love and care that Naomi experienced at the hand of God here? Is this not the same care that we receive? Is this not the same love? Is it not the same God that is interceding and intervening in our lives right now as was intervening in the life of Naomi? Some of you may have heard this uh, pastor, author, theologian, a guy named R.C. Sproul. Um, sometimes I quote up here. He went to be with the Lord on December 14th. This was a guy that has just had a massive, massive impact a guy that was careful to be true to scriptures and to clear, solid doctrine. He influenced a lot of people. Um, and many years ago, I was at a place where my faith was at just a kind of a crossroads. Um, it had been far too thin for far too long. That was the place I was in. And my brother Jason told me about this guy named R.C. Sproul that he'd been reading and listening to and suggested that I do the same. So that one moment in my life that I listened to my brother and did what he told me to do um, was a moment that profoundly changed my life. And like most change, it didn't happen overnight, but a seed was planted that God used through R.C. Sproul to begin an implicit, a work that I couldn't see, implicit work in me. Now listen, there have been setbacks since that first day I cracked open that, that Sproul book or clicked on that, well, they didn't have podcasts back then. This was back in the 30s. But whatever it was that I was listening to. But there have been setbacks. There have been famines in my life. There has been loss. There is grief in my life. There is all of that and more just like you. And in the midst of that, God led me to a place, but the place 
was only to bring me to the person of Jesus. And yet God was implicitly working through all the unknowable moments of those years. And when I stand here today, okay, and I look at all of you, I see the explicit fruit of God's work, not only in my life, but in the stories of all of your lives. All of our stories leading up to this moment are the fruit of Christ's redemption to us, in us, and through us. This fruit of redemption is explicit when we look at the community that he's made for us. Look at this. It's explicit in the family that we've all become to one another. Just look around you. It's explicit in the legacy that this church will leave for generations to come by God's grace. And you know what? That's surprising. It's surprising not because God's not good or generous, but because his goodness and generosity to undeserving sinners like us has exceeded our expectations in abundance. Paul prayed a prayer for the Ephesians in chapter 3, verse 14, and he said this, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. R.C. Sproul preached his final sermon on November 26th of this year, his final line was this. I pray with all my heart that God will awaken each one of us today to the sweetness, the loveliness, the glory of the gospel declared by Christ. The book of Ruth has awakened us to that sweetness, to that loveliness, to that glory of the gospel declared by Christ, hasn't it? It serves as a reminder that God is not wasting our loss, but is filling our emptiness with the love we know we need because of our loss. Like Naomi, and we are going to suffer, but like Naomi, we can obey God while being strengthened with power through his spirit as we wait in hope for the day when we will see the redeemer of our souls face to face, our emptiness filled by the all-satisfying, incomparable love of Christ. God, we... We come to you with such a lack of understanding of what it is that you're doing in our lives. We're not given that information most of the time. We're not given glimpses into the future. 
But Lord, as we read of the love and the care that you extended to Naomi, to Ruth, to Boaz, to people who are in our family of faith, who we will see one day, Lord, we're reminded that you don't waste anything, that our pain and our loss is not wasted, and that the emptinesses that we experience are meant to draw us to a refilling of the truth of the face of Christ that is a visible and explicit presence in all of our lives. Thank you for drawing us together as a community. Thank you for creating family for us, Lord. Thank you for giving us a legacy of God's faithfulness, which is the church. Lord, you've accomplished all these things and we pray right now that you would grow in us the trust that we are lacking that acknowledges that even when we can't see it, you are always working and you are always good to fill our emptiness with a deeper affection, a deeper love, and a deeper knowledge of the person of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we don't know what we're going to face in 2018. We don't know what we're gonna face uh, in 18 minutes. But Lord, we know you and we know that you never abandon your family. You never abandon those who you call to be your own. And so Lord, for anybody who has not received the grace of that salvation, Lord, we pray that you would do that work in them, that you would cause them to come to you, humble themselves, and repent of their sins, Lord, so that they can be part of the same family of saving grace that Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, David and us are a part of that leads all the way back to the present and into the future to Jesus Christ. Thanks for this hope that we have that is tangible, that we can believe in because we are your beloved sons and daughters. Lord, allow us to take that with us as a great encouragement into this season, into the rest of this year, and into the year that is to come, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.